0: to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price, price Priceline Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Sorry for the late release I had to go grocery shopping, I woke up too early and fucked myself up I had to strain my sake because I'm a madman but with all that done I'm sitting down to talk to, to A. Thank you for listening to the podcast lately. I know that we've had some that I've had some technical issues lately. Um, but I will try and I'm without with myself and my equipment. But um I wanted to first say that in about probably about a month we will be wrapping up on the first on the first season of Uncanny Curves over on the Uncanny Curves podcast, um, which is a podcast about the Uncanny X Men from the seventies. And where so, if you are looking for a podcast to listen to all the way through, you can go listen to that. I think it's gonna end up being like a thirteen episode season or something. Um, and then the next season, we're going to do a little like mini-season that is all about the Teen Titans. So um, if you're at all interested in any of that stuff, or comics at all, go check out the Uncanny Courage podcast. Um, I'm on it, along with Lauren, who you heard on this podcast, and then Larry, who you haven't. <laughs> so um, definitely go check it out. But today what I want to talk about is, I wanted to talk about... Um, a programming block of anime, uh, and so before I do that, I want to um, get into kind of like the ways that anime manga are classified. There are certain classifications of manga. The most common one you probably encounter is sh- shonen. The second most common one is probably shojo, and shonen is anime for young boys. Um, Shoujo is anime for young girls. Um, If you look at something like um, Yaoi, that's supposed to be... A lot of it gets interpreted as explicitly homoerotic or gay. But Yaoi can also refer to just boy's love, which is like deep friendship between male or between male characters. Um, Yuri is the same. It has the same bends. It can either be something as deeply hardcore as Citrus or as mild as, say, so, as mild but still suggestive, probably, as um, the kind of like friendships that you see in Card Captor Chakra, for example. Um, but. What ends up happening with all of those properties is when they go to and this has changed a lot with um streaming platform for a bunch of reasons that I'll get into, but what ends up happening with all of these platforms is they with all of these different genres is they go to different time slots and they go to different networks. The most kind of infamous of all the networks the one of all the um programming blocks. At, at all the networks is the Noitomina block and um if you haven't figured it out Noitamina is just animation spelled backwards and for a long time Noitamina was the home of like experimental more adult leaning more challenging anime um an idea of what uh, to give you an idea of what was on Noitomina in the past um Paradise Kiss, which you can listen to me talk about in this, in this podcast, in the feed, in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now, um, Paradise Kiss was on there, um, Honey and Clover, which actually I just talked about on the podcast, the, um, like, the episode before this, or, um, yeah, the episode before this, I'm pretty sure. That was on the, that was on the Noitamina block originally. Things like Eden of the East were on Noitomina, things like, um... Things like, um, what's it called? Things like, th- 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 my point is that, um, pr- things like Princess Jellyfish were on Noitamina, uh, and th- and lately things like Vinland Saga were on Noitamina. Now the reason I want to talk about this is because I was sitting watching the third episode of Tokyo Revengers yesterday. And a, I would just like, Oh fucking, this show is bringing is bringing its a game with the with the hot shit character designs. I'm very into it um but also, I thought, you know, even five years ago, Tokyo Revengers would be a Noitamina block show it has it has the feeling of those shows it has the same kind of air about it that say something like even Honey and Clover did or um, Nana with another Noi in the Block show, I believe. Um, it, it has this experimental storyline feeling that goes so far as to like do consciousness time travel and he consciousness time travels back to his body 12 years ago as he's about to get punched in the face. Um, which is very jarring that happened in the second episode. And then I kind of realized why it might not, why, why it wasn't a Noitomina show. So this is going to require some conversation about some anime licensing. It, it we'll get through it. It's fine. In the beginning of like streaming anime it was not it was not a complicated thing to go find legal streaming anime. You just went to iTunes and you bought stuff by seasons. Or if you were of the less legal band, you'd go to something like Kiss Anime, which is now in a quivering grave, from what I understand. Um, or at the time, Crunchyroll, because Crunchyroll had not gone legal by the t- at the point I'm talking about, Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll had not transitioned to be a legal service yet. They eventually would get VC money and blah, 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 blah on and on down the line. Um, but, I'd be clear, anime streaming was never technically an illegal proposition. It was what they called the gray market thing. So it's not like there were any laws being broken. It's just no one was strictly following the rules. <laughs> and... In that, in that, in that, in the era of first real anime streaming sites, when Crunchyroll went legal and they started to make, they started to make strides and distribute stuff over the internet legally, you would see, or you would get things from places like Genion you in disc form, which I have my Paradise Kiss discs, um, in front of me, you see, in the beginning of the show, you see a, like, little, um, motion logo for Noitomina, and if your taste of anime guided you a certain way, you'd see that more and more, like, I saw it with Paradise Kiss, and then, um, on and on with different shows throughout, throughout the years, and... But as anime streaming became more popular, as it became a big enough niche market to be recognizable and for people who want a piece of it, you started to get um, certainly Netflix throwing a pad in the ring. And what Netflix did, is it went to anime companies to partner, usually for original anime. I mean, yes, they would go out and get the part; they would go out and get the rights for. Um, Pokemon Indigo League, or some like some certain staples that people wouldn't think of, but if you cross on Netflix, you'd be like, yes, please, let's start this shit up. And after a while, something became apparent about about streaming in general, and that is, there was one streaming player who had a. I'm gonna say, um. not really had a strategy that nobody else had. It would do its best to pick up the stuff that nobody else could pick up because it would let the licensor do whatever it wanted to do on their platform. And that and that um, streaming platform was Amazon Prime Video. So what the difference between Amazon Prime Video still to this day and something like Crunchyroll is, when you sign up for Crunchyroll, you get everything on Crunchyroll. You get access to everything they have. But when you sign up for Amazon, for Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime Video is not the primary service you want to, that you're signing up for. You're signing up to get like toilet paper delivered in two days or some nonsense. You get Amazon Prime Video as a plus, as like a bonus. So when you go on to Amazon Prime, there are tons of stuff on Prime that you can just watch. But there's also tons of stuff that you can't just watch. And that meant that they had a flexibility when they were licensing things to say like, hey, you don't want to do a per diem streaming model payment thing? Fine, you can charge the rental fee or the sale fee for your video. We do not care. So that meant when you were out there looking for *Summer Wars* and it was nowhere, it was on Amazon Prime. (laughs) And that eventually kind of played itself out and Amazon saw that they wanted to make a play into they wanted to make a play for a section of the anime streaming market because anime as a programming block tends to grow when nobody else is because Otaku as consumers, all of us, are trained to just thrust our money fists in people's face and say, shut up and take my money pretty quickly. I'm guilty of it. Most of us are guilty of it. It's just the way we are. It's the way the industry has kind of groomed the fandom, so to speak. And what they did was they made Anime Strike. And Anime Strike, it was a was Anime Strike was a terrible idea. Amazon Prime Video, being the way it was, having, like, some certain shows on it that were nowhere else because they were allowed to play the games they wanted to play on there, was fine. That was totally fine, whatever. Anime Strike was a $5 additional fee for access to, like, an only anime section of Amazon Prime Video. And they, they, at this point, they went out and got exclusives, and they, like... They barely promoted them, which sucked because occasionally during anime strike, you would hear about a neat show, and like, I was the only person who could go check it out because who's going to pay who's going to pay if they're not already paying if they're already paying 100 bucks a year, why are you going to pay another five bucks a month for this horseshit? or if you aren't paying for Amazon Prime? Why are you going to drop 100 bucks plus 5 bucks a month to get access to it? That's just that's an insane amount of money to ask for access to a handful of shows. That that fizzled out. I want to say inside of a inside of like 6 months. It did not go well. Amazon strike did not did you could go read articles, it did not go well. But what ended up happening was They took a different approach. They said, okay, starting our own vertical in Amazon Video, it just just can't work. And so instead of licensing show by show, what they did was they went to the Noitomina block, which is, like I said, it's kind of the most infamous, most well-known programming block of anime. And they said, "We want to license everything you have, just permanently. Let's go." That means show, and that means that lots of shows that are like the stars of the season for a while were on Amazon Prime, and, all, and what that meant is that their streaming numbers were dog shit because no one was going to go to Prime to watch things because. And I think I've talked about this before, I think on the podcast, but the prime video player is just the prime video player is user aggressive. Like it just doesn't like you as a user. It's like, hey, I see you're watching something in another language. I'm not going to turn on the English subtitles. I'm going to make you turn them on. Halfway. And when you press all the buttons to make that happen, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Good luck. And so my guess is the reason why we're getting things like Tokyo Rap like Tokyo Revengers or things like um Duran and Duran and the Juron of Blood and Snow or things like that outside of the like where it would usually end up, which is oftentimes the Noitamina block, is because it's less valuable for studios to commit their work to that section of um, to that section to that section of programming internationally. So uh, the thing with the thing with Netflix is you get. If you as a studio get some sort of funding out of doing a Netflix original anime, um, like Be the Beginning or something, and as a result, those shows look considerably better, and also the studios are getting some serious financial gain. I know a fair amount about the, the industry, and I can't make a clear connection from Amazon through Noitamina to the studio whatever studio is making that show at the time. So as a studio, if I want more, if I want more streaming revenue from my show, it may be more beneficial to not hook myself into the Noitomina block and thus the like Amazon machine deal that happened there when I could, you know, put, put it on a different block I mean, maybe later at night and just go and just go and make streaming deals with, with, um... And go make streaming deals and still make a streaming deal with Amazon. That's the key point. Like, Amazon will take your money as an individual, like, license. They just know that if they lock up the kind of, like... Noitamina almost functions like the Cannes Film Festival list of anime <laughs> Does that make any sense um, if they lock up to like controversial boundary pushing shows they know that they will at least have some accolades and pe- it will drive some people to watch that stuff there because even if it's locked behind a super paywall because there are people like me or like the people on anime world order or like um, any number of the people write for A um, and N, who will just go watch that stuff. Who, who watch that stuff because we are all interested in what that stuff is doing, and oftentimes, like I said, is it is the most like controversial, boundary pushing stuff in anime. Uh, and it, it, but because Noitamina is now hooked into this. Like machine of Amazon, not everything goes there all the time. Not not everything. Not everything that is like that is aired there all the time. And oftentimes that was still, and sometimes that was still true, uh, you know, five to ten years ago. But it was way less true then. Now, when a company is Literally producing, not like just like pumping money into, but literally doing all the production work of animation, or animating a show. They've part of the calculus has to be: what will the number, what are the potential numbers outside of Japan? Um, and that has been probably somewhat true since. You know, Ghost of the Shell, the first Ghost of the Shell movie had had a simultaneous premiere in America and Japan back in the 80s. Um, Cowboy Bebop didn't get super popular until it got, like, mega popular in America. Um, Trigun is, like, infamously more West, loved more by the West than the East. And I just think that I think that's way better to have the shows spread out in a more even to have really groundbreaking shows like that feel like Tokyo Re- Revengers spread out in a more even way. I just I just find the Noitamina block interesting because it's very clear that at every point they're like Oh, you wanna make a you wanna make a show about love triangles and go into art school? Sure, that sounds really cool. That sounds really cool. Oh, you wanna make like a like a show where like a a pug kid gets a million dollars to save the to save the nation of Japan? Go. And and you want money to like have Incubus record the original set the The opening, sure, sure, absolutely. That sounds fantastic. Yes, and the reason why Noitamina will probably still be, um, important is because through all of their like dealings and all of the shows that they've produced, that, that that have been produced in that block, it it stands for a kind of like. Commercial art that is more art than commercial if that makes any sense um you go you look at any, you look at any kind of like you look at any kind of anime, and there are shows that are like super commercial like super commercial, and there are shows that are like what that are of entertainment with something to say. And that's important that, that stuff stay there because if everything just gets super commercial, we end up with like the the Moe apocalypse that happened many years that happened in like the early to mid aughts because everybody was trying to emulate each other and it just like there was a lot of bad stuff out there. And there was a lot of good stuff, but there's also a lot of bad stuff and. Those kinds of more experimental pro- projects are how shows, are how um, mediums grow and change. So like, and you can see that in the um, Isekai boom. Isekai in the way that Isekai exists would not exist without Sword Art Online. Once Sword Art Online came out, it gave a framework for a kind of for the kind of like isekai standard show that does at least like three every season now, but from that like base mold, they took people were able to take um take take that run with it and add and subtract their own takes on that form of a thing. And then you get stuff like Rising of a Shield hero. You get stuff like Boperi. You get stuff like um like um Reborn of the Slime or Reborn of the Spider and or you get stuff like Tanya the Evil. Dear Jesus um <laughs> and it just it is For many years, Noitamina was putting shows out like was putting shows out that felt like that. It it's also responsible for giving like a certain kind of creator a space, a certain kind of storyteller a space to tell their stories. If you look at um, Paradise, Kith, and Nana, both of which I believe are on Noitamina, those are like deeply involved deeply emotionally fraught shoujo storylines that Noitamino was like absolutely, Absolutely you can get real into the Ayazawa of it all. And that stuff that stuff was important because it informed not just shoujo going forward but fashion going forward um the the gothic lolita style that you see lots of cosplayers roaming around in like big baroque you know elizabethan cutesy outfits that comes from paradise kiss that style is like inspired originally by paradise kiss and also, on some level, Nana. Nana is so much a guide for, like, 20-something female fashion. It's amazing. <laughs> on, like, two totally different spectrums, too. And also, it, like, takes it takes the ball that, like, Paradise like Kiss lovingly crafted and just grabs it and fucking... Shotguns it down the down the field, like oh, but what if chain lift rings? Boom, and the I don't I I mean I'm fairly certain Noitamana will never go away, but I think that it will also always be necessary because it is still like a home for experimental, odd, weird stuff that doesn't always work. There's like some Noy Thomas stuff is just boring as all shit. But that's not what's important. The important is is there was a place for that stuff to air. And on that note, if you like this episode of the podcast, once again, I'm sorry it came out late, but um not a full day late this time, so that's good. Um but new episodes come out every third day and Sunday. Thursday is a more um series or movie based review review and thoughts based show. Um, Sunday is more like this, it's metatextual, it's about things like apparently program blocks or um like industry stuff or technical stuff. And um I have been Alex, you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday edition. And I will talk to you on the third day.